0: Let's take a moment and go to God in prayer as we head into his word together, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word that not only comes to us in this part of the service, but it also saturates everything else that we do this morning. Your word is what causes us and drives us to get up in the morning to love our neighbors, and to care for other people. But Lord, we set this time specifically aside for you, and we pray that you would speak to each of us. Pray that you would use uh, my mouth as your mouth, that the preparation that I did throughout the week would be honoring to you, and, and that what you have given to me is able to be spoken uh, to everyone. We pray for those listening online and listening later on, that they too may be blessed. By hearing your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to go to, there was a lot of options to choose if you heard where this story was from. We're going to go from, to Matthew chapter 18. And we'll get there a little bit later. But in reality, what I was thinking about was upending the status quo was hard. When you get used to doing something a certain way, doesn't matter what it is, changing the oil, you used to doing that that certain way. When you get used to getting up in the morning a certain way, when you get used to eating your meals a certain way, it's hard when someone comes along and changes your routine. Right? When there's an extra person there that you weren't planning on that, Maybe doesn't know the rules and wants to throw their food around rather than eat it. Or, or maybe someone doesn't know that you like to wake up by hitting your alarm three times and then you'll finally get up, but the person you're married to all of a sudden wants you to get up when the alarm goes off that first time. Upending the status quo, the normal operating procedure, is, is hard. Let me give you another example from when I was in college. A guy that was on my floor, I won't name him by names, but he was a very organized and almost obsessive compulsive about the way his books were on the shelf. You know the person I'm talking about. You walk up to the shelf, every book arranged by size, all approximately one and a half inches from the front of the shelf, no matter the length of the book. So then when you look at them, you see this wonderful wall of books, perfectly organized, and then you got some guy, some chump named Steve that comes over and pushes a few of those in, maybe flips one around. I I can't say this is proud moments of me sharing my, my behavior with you, but it's hard when someone comes in and changes things perhaps you can think of things in your life that you like a certain way that someone came along and and started like it felt like they were just poking at you because they wanted you to think differently i think people who have kids or interact with kids at any level, an aunt and uncle, whatever, a grandparent, get the idea because they know kids upset the status quo. They change the way, the behavior, uh, you normally want to behave, perhaps. Like me, I'd love to sit down at the table and hear that quietness, maybe a little bit of, conversation going along. Everyone gets their turn. So you can imagine that's not necessarily the way it is at my house with seven people around the table. So The children get you to think differently. They cause you to put your time in different places, adjust your thinking. And I think it's because they're so dependent. Emily and I were having a conversation this week about the dependent nature of children and how she's like, I feel all we do in our life is clean up after the kids. I did take a picture of an unclean room, and I was going to share it today. But then Peyton said, Dad, are you going to make fun of us? (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? I was gonna take a picture of a dirty room in a clean room and show them, but I'm not going to. But what it got us to think about is it's a mind shift. The dependence that children have on other people for their care. Whether it's making them food, not only do you have to not th- only think about maybe yourself and your spouse, but now you have to think about caring for another person. When you think about Cleaning up, it's to to create a safe space for our youngest so she doesn't put something in her mouth that she can't. Upsetting, perhaps, the way things were before, but it was for the better. It was for the care of each of us. And so we look at this passage where, where just as kids give a different perspective on life to us, where Jesus is working at giving a different perspective on greatness to his followers, the disciples. So let's take a moment and look at the kingdom perspective that Jesus gives to the disciples about greatness. Matthew 18, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And then verse 6 takes a little different turn. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Maybe we're not ending with a smiley face, but that's, that's okay. Jesus, in the book of Matthew, has five large sections where he teaches his followers. Teaches people who are gathered together, but also teaches the disciples themselves. And the whole focus of these large teaching sections is to show the followers, how it is that they are actually supposed to live each and every day. What does following Jesus look like? What do the ethics of following Jesus look like? What does a life look like that follows Jesus? What does a, we would say, Christian life look like? Now this is in the fourth section. So there's already we've already hit three, and this is from the fourth and here now Jesus is specifically showing the kind of community and care that should characterize relationships between one another relationships not e- not only between one another in the church but also between one another outside of the church Jesus is is working to To show them how their thought process, if they're following Jesus fully, should change. The theme that binds this section together is concern for the spiritual needy. The spiritually needy. Jesus' concern for the powerless. His concern for those who are victimized by sin. His concern for those who have been victimized by others. It's a kingdom in which Jesus wants to share how this kingdom, these people recognize their dependence upon God just as children are dependent on adults. And so Jesus. Jesus, it, it, all, well, it all starts out when the disciples ask a question, doesn't it? The disciples came to Jesus and said, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? And we heard from all these other passages that, you know, you're, there's other times where they argue about, no, I'm greater. I got this skill, that skill, this other thing. And, and then James and John's mom come over and they try to, she tries to say, hey, can, you know, can my boys sit next to you on the bus? Um, Can they sit next to you when you you get into the kingdom of heaven? And trying to jockey for these positions of greatness. And, And there's probably other people too, perhaps other than themselves, that they had in their mind. The disciples too were probably thinking about all of those people that perhaps we touched on in earlier sermons. Moses and Abraham and David. Those are some great guys. Are, are they the greatest, perhaps? And, and and maybe they debated about who was better, like, you know, people debate about Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, or, you know, or a Michael Jordan and LeBron James, if you're basketball people, or Giannis, I would say, is better than both of them. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, you can debate about those things, and perhaps they debated about that. But Jesus basically says, throw your ideas of greatness out the window. Because my kingdom doesn't operate that way. What you're thinking of greatness doesn't translate to my kingdom. Let me show you. And so, so he calls a child forward and says, truly, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven kind of a similar conversation that Jesus had with with a a guy named Nicodemus when Jesus said you have to be born again and Nicodemus is like um Jesus you know how can I be born again but it's not necessarily physically becoming a child it's not like we need to live lives like you remember the movie like Benjamin Button and maybe you don't but it's this person who is like growing younger or something like that. Anyway, it's been a long time since I've seen it. It's not that, instead, it's an object lesson about importance. Because though the Jews thought that children were a blessing from God, though the Jewish tradition regarded children highly, the rest of the ancient world didn't. The rest of the ancient world often saw children as half-human before they reached puberty. Their only benefit of them being able to be seen as human was the future work that they would do for the family. Anything that was happening in the future because as of right now, as a child, they weren't really much help. And that's what the ancient world thought. They only thought about the benefit by them enhancing the, wor- the, the workforce or, or uh, them benefiting a, a, another way that they would be able to be a defensive power or they would be a part of the army or, or there would be something that would come in the future that would guarantee their, their future glory of their house and their line of people but they had no rights. Kids didn't didn't have any rights. They were simply unable to advance anything on their own. They always needed the adults. And even, even worse is oftentimes baby girls or girls just in general were just seen as expensive and they could just be let go. And you would you would just if you didn't want your girl you would just leave her aside and you would go on with your day powerlessness jesus is showing something about powerless powerlessness not innocence sometimes we think you know oh child children are so innocent and so on actually scripture says that from our mother's womb we are sinful so we can't we're not going down that route we're sinful From the time we are born, we're sinful. From the time we are in the womb, we're not innocent. That's not what Jesus is doing here. What he's saying is that we are dependent upon others because we ourselves are powerless. Jesus is saying down. Going down is the new way up putting yourself in a lowly position, becoming like a child who is seen as half human, unable to care for themselves, is your way into the kingdom because if you recognize that you are down here and unable to provide for yourself, then everything that comes from God is his care. It is you being dependent upon him rather than being dependent on yourself your own greatness, or whatever you will do in the future. Jesus shares to his followers that his kingdom is one who who lifts up the lowly. His kingdom is one who upends our understanding of greatness. Those ideas that we had in our mind before, we, we throw them out. think there's another interesting thing about this verse, other than becoming like little children, it's the word change. That's considered to be a word that has an ongoing, repetitive meaning. It means that each and every day you will renew your mind, change your mind, becoming someone who perhaps sees themselves as humble, meek, willing to care for others, to take on that lowly status each and every day. It's a transformative process. It's not just going to happen once. Well, I can check that off my list. I went and I served soup somewhere, right? That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a daily Renewing and changing and becoming like that of a child dependent upon God. Not focusing on our own greatness. And then there ends up being this shift. Not only are we doing it for our own uh Uh, humility i guess you could say but we're doing it for the benefit of others whoever welcomes now whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me so there's this shift of now our our own attitude has been shifted but now we're supposed to consider and welcome and care for others And it's interesting what Jesus does here with the idea of the child again. Initially, in the last verse, he was focusing in on this child, but now it's one such child. Expanding out the meaning that it doesn't mean only the child that was in front of him, but now he's saying one such child and increasing the metaphor, and he will do it later on because In reality, what he's saying is he's not just speaking about children. Whoever welcomes those who are powerless and cares for those who are powerless in places where they are looked down upon, that is the focus. It's not just little kids that we see. We can interpret this more broadly and encapsulate all of those insignificant and ignored people groups in society. And around the world. I think perhaps sometimes in our life we want to take the greener pasture, perhaps we would say, and overlook those people groups and instead go and try to take on the the greater task and and help out the more influential people because then there will be some type of recognition and greatness and so on. But instead, Jesus calls them not to care for the great, but to care for one such child. The little people. The ones who are not seen as great. The little tasks. The little ones. The weakest, the most vulnerable, the least significant humans that you can think of is the clearest possible signpost of what the kingdom is like. People caring for the least of these. The kingdom isn't going to be filled with the people who are perhaps the strongest, the fastest, the loudest That's not what it's about. It'll be filled with those dependent on God and those who are caring for one another. Jesus' kingdom lifts the lowly up, ending our understanding of greatness. Then we get to that verse 6 that I said, Well, here it kind of takes a turn, doesn't it? If people who understand God's kingdom characteristics and the care for those who are in positions of dishonor, those who are ignored, if we know we're supposed to care for them and we don't, what happens? And Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, now he doesn't even use the word child, Those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. God's kingdom is a place for the powerless and the little ones are cared for. And if anyone knows they are to care for them, Jesus gives a pretty gruesome definition And in reality, what he's saying is this isn't a small millstone. This is a millstone that a donkey would be walking around. It would be this enormous millstone. And and Jesus is basically saying you would be better off to have a gruesome death in this world than face the judgment of God if you're going to ignore the people that he cares for. And the people he cares for, it's not just the small babies, but it's the full-grown people. Every family group, every neighborhood, every community, every office, every school, classroom has the people who are called the little ones. Every people group that we know of has individuals who are the little ones. You know them as the people who are powerless. You know them as the people who are disliked for being different. You know them as the people who are ignored because of the color of their skin. You know them as the people who are ignored by by the way that they dress or the way they have their hair or the way that they haven't showered in four weeks. You know them by the people, by, um, uh, by the ones that others don't seem to give the time of day. You know them as the students who don't get the individualized care that they need. You know them as individuals who are so utterly dependent on others that they somehow can't care for themselves, the little ones. And to be a part of this kingdom of who is the greatest in the kingdom there's a mindset shift that has to take place. A mindset that says we will begin to embrace, that we will begin to give time, that we will begin to listen, that we will begin to honor, that we will begin to give regard for, that we will begin to care for by our own time or our own money or our own things. perhaps even including into caring for those and welcoming those of whom we disagree with. Am I able to say that? I think I am. Even the individual that's on the opposite spectrum of whatever issue you want to come up with, they, too, are one who needs to be cared for. They, too, are one who is to be loved. So how is it we can choose each and every day to become like a child and to care for one of these little ones? Our call It's to to love and care for and to exude and, and live out God's kingdom values, not just on Sunday, but every single day of the week. And it's right there in our mission statement. Each and every day we are to live for God. We are to live for God, living out that care of the little ones. Living out that childlike attitude, not looking at ourself as the greatest. It's there in the second statement, too. It's loving your neighbors. If you have a snowblower, maybe you snowblowed your neighbor's sidewalk. A small way of loving your neighbor Loving your neighbor that you disagree with even though they had a different political sign out during the, the election. Each and every day not causing those things which are so ignif- insignificant to get in the way of us fulfilling and living the way God desires us to. To care for his little ones here's the thing Jesus when he welcomed that little child he didn't welcome her as a half-human he welcomed her as a somebody and he welcomes each and every one of us though we have no uh, uh, no uh, characteristics in our life that cause him to recognize us as somebody in all stances we are nobody Jesus, too, welcomes us as somebody by the way of his blood. God, looking past all of those sins, all of those ways in which we thought of ourselves as great, all those ways that we thought we could get there on our own, instead he looks past those recognizing that Jesus' blood has made us into somebody. And then it's our job each and every day week, not to go out and look and say, well, here's a homeless man, or here is a black person, here is someone who is whatever you want to come up with. No, all of those characteristics, while important to who they are, perhaps what we recognize is here is somebody. Somebody who is important enough for Christ to die for, someone who is important enough to receive dignity and care and love, someone who is important enough for us to begin a relationship with them. Because when when you're a part of God's community, you enter a kingdom where he elevates the lowly and upends our understanding of greatness. We enter a community where we each and every single day live for God fully, love our neighbors, and in the process, lead people to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love of people that you see the insignificant Perhaps, and don't call them by that. Instead, you say they are somebody, even more than that, that they are your child, a child of the King who can approach you at any time. Help us live lives that see others as your children with dignity in compassion and not just look at others in that way but begin to take steps to act and care for them we thank you for the many ways that you provide opportunities for us to do so to care for people through this kids hope the community garden that's gonna start up this year in other ways too continue to bring us ways to be caring and loving people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.